Our scripture for this morning comes from Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 3. I invite you now to listen for the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, when Thomas began this series, he said that Hebrews was written for times like these and for people like us. For times like these, times maybe filled with uh, uncertainty or struggle of some kind, times filled with doubt. And for people like us, like you and me, people who are struggling, maybe people who are weary for various reasons, people who might be languishing, people who need revival. One of the sources, I think, of our current struggle, one of the reasons I think that many of us are weary is that we are living in what I call an age of confrontation, a time marked by a kind of contempt, a kind of constant contempt and judgment for one another. Call it call-out culture, call it whatever you want. Things just feel a bit contentious, both kind of politically out there, but also, I think, in some of our personal lives. Maybe you've had relationships characterized by this over the last year. If you have ever been on the internet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? And we have lived our lives online for the last year, maybe more than ever uh, before. And for uh, all the benefits of that kind of, kind of constant connectivity, I think that Dave Zoll's description that the internet is just like real life, but with all of the forgiveness vacuumed out, fits best. But it's not just the internet. There's a kind of, uh, kind of cultural mentality right now that redemption or mercy or forgiveness is kind of only reserved for people who earn it, people who deserve it, which really doesn't fit the definition of mercy to begin with. But as an example, a few months ago, GQ magazine published a profile on Justin Bieber. Uh, in case you don't know who Justin Bieber is, <laughs> that is the only picture I could find appropriate for the sanctuary. He's one of the biggest pop stars of all time. He's been famous since he was like 15 years old. And he's got like, I think he's sold over 150 million records. And he's, he's still going, right? He just released another album. 
Bieber is the first to admit, right, that he has not made some great decisions. Uh, again, he's been one of the biggest stars for the last decade and during his most formational years, which is not a great combination, usually. But things are different for him now. Uh, he's matured a bit. He's grown up. He's recently married, which changes all of us. It does. It's great. It's, it changes us for the better. I love you, Abby. But he's also growing in his faith. Um, during the interview, he shared about the, the loneliness and the pressure of growing up in the spotlight, the, the transactional nature of most of his relationships during that time, right? Relationships with, with executives and, and brand managers, all people who are kind of depending on him to keep up his image so that they could make money on him. And to my surprise, he also shared about the impact of grace on his life. It's a, it's a really powerful interview that I recommend checking out. At one point, he says, he says this, God is grace. Every time we mess up, he picks us back up. Every single time. That's how I view it. And so I can admit I made a mistake. I won't dwell in it. I won't sit in shame. But it actually makes me want to do better. There's a quote. I don't know if it's biblical, if it's in the Bible, but I do remember this quote. The comforted become the comforters. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I really do feel comforted. And I have this outpouring of love that I want to be able to share with people. Of all the things I did not expect in 2021, Justin Bieber winning me over has got to be at the top. But Bieber offers a really beautiful description of what grace is, of how it can transform a person. When grace gets inside of you, it changes you. And you want to be able to share that grace with other people. What I found revealing, though, in terms of where we are just at culturally is in the response of the journalist. He has no concept of uh, and no use for grace. At one point in his own discomfort, he warns the reader not to sympathize with Bieber. He says this. And aside here, a word, whatever. You do not need to feel sympathy for people like Justin Bieber. People who ask for attention, money, fame, as many people do, and actually receive all three, as most people don't. This is like a very good picture of what Dave Zoll meant when he said the internet is just like real life, but with all the forgiveness vacuumed out of it. Thanks be to God that the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the great high, high priest who does sympathize with us in our weakness, who does sympathize with Justin Bieber in his weakness, who does not look for reasons to go out and withhold mercy from us, who gives us the confidence, the writer of Hebrews tells us, to approach God without fear of condemnation. Please don't hear me just criticizing the culture out there either. The church has a reputation as a place of judgment as well, and we've earned it to some extent. We can be judgmental. And I think one of the reasons that we are judgmental is that we believe for the gospel to, to be credible, that we have to be better than everyone else. And what makes you feel better than judging other people? Of course, we might think that our judgment is righteous, 
we might also think that we are being prophetic. In some cases, that might be true. I mean, there are certainly times that God calls prophets. However, I have, I have this growing conviction that right now what um, the most important thing the church has to offer the culture is not our prophetic duty. It's our priestly one. As Hebrews tells us, priests are aware of their own weakness, their own need for mercy. And the net effect of this awareness, we're told, is that they are able to deal gently with others. I think that if you and me, if followers of Jesus Christ, recovered this priestly practice of dealing gently with others, it would revive the church. And it would also revive the culture, I think, at the same time. But what would it look like in an age of such contempt and judgment? Maybe it looks a little bit like this guy. This is Ted Lasso. For those of you who don't know who Ted Lasso is, one of the best surprises of the last year for me was this show. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, If you haven't, the premise of the show is um, that an American college football coach named Ted Lasso is hired by an English Premier League soccer team, which is the greatest soccer league in the world, um, to be their coach. And just saying that out loud sounds absolutely ridiculous. And it is. It is absolutely ridiculous. And because I'm an avid soccer fan, I was very suspicious at first, but it really delivers. In an interview with uh, Brene Brown, Jason Sudeikis, who plays Lasso, who also wrote the show, says that Ted Lasso is more than just a character. He's a vibe. Ted Lasso is a vibe. And it's hard to explain what exactly that vibe is, but it feels a lot like grace. Throughout the show's first season, Ted Lasso deals gently with everyone around him in a kind of disarming way. In one memorable scene, Ted is playing darts in a pub, and he, and he shares a story that gives us some insight as to where he kind of gets his gentle touch. He come, came across a quote by Walt Whitman that kind of changed him. And the quote is, be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not judgmental. The quote reminds him of the people who used to kind of belittle him and judge him when he was young. He says, not a single one of them was curious. They thought they had it figured out. They judged, he says. It's obvious that this has become his life philosophy. And I think that one of the reasons that this show struck such a chord with so many people right now, it's that his curiosity uh, allows him to deal gently with with everyone that he comes into contact with. And of all the glorious moments throughout the show, this one scene stuck with me. What would it look like for you and I to live more curiously? What would it look like? Maybe it would look like asking more open-ended questions. It might look like giving people the benefit of the doubt more often. It might look like checking our assumptions, our motives, our predeterminations more often. I mean, think about how it makes you feel. Think about how it impacts your spirit, how it revives your spirit, when someone is just genuinely curious with you before they judge you. 
Father Greg Boyle, who is a, a Jesuit priest who started Homeboy Industries. It's a, the largest gang rehabilitation organization in the world out in Los Angeles. He tells a story uh, of a woman who um, insisted o on volunteering with the organization. When he asked her why, she said, well, because I believe I have a message these young people need to hear. He told her, the minute you lose that message, come back to us. If prophets have a message, it's priests who are curious, who take the time to listen, who sympathize like Jesus does with others in their place of pain, despair, doubt, without any strings attached. Curiosity always opens a door to relationship that judgment nearly always slams shut. Boyle also says that when he first started to work with gang members in LA, that a, a veteran teacher gave him some advice. She told him that one, know all their names by tomorrow. And two, it's more important that they know you than they know what you know. Which is advice I really genuinely think that seminaries should just lead with. Like, I wish someone would have told me that years ago. Priestly ministry requires a lot more than just delivering a message. Look, I'm not saying we should all be like Ted Lasso. The second season's coming out, and I have no idea what's going to happen. This could, this could turn out to really backfire. What I am saying is that curiosity is a form of gentleness. And if we choose to live more curiously, I, I genuinely think we would be surprised at the revival that it could generate. Justin Bieber was right, by the way. The quote, the comforted become the comforters, it is from the Bible. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. My friends, it is not our goodness that gives credibility to the gospel. It is our weakness. And so to let us deal gently with others because God has dealt gently with us. We won't all be prophets, but we could all be priests. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.